0: Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. This week, I talk with Carolyn Spark QC, and we take a look into the importance of making a will and how to go about it. If you already have a will, Carolyn might point out a few things that maybe you weren't aware of. And if you don't have a will yet, hopefully Carolyn's advice gives you a gentle nudge in the right direction. I need to add the disclaimer that the comments in this podcast are of a general nature only and not by way of personal advice. For advice specific to your situation, please consult a lawyer. With that said, I hope you find this episode as interesting and inspiring as I did. Caroline Spark, welcome to the show. I've um, been wanting to record an episode on the importance and what exactly a will is for some time, and uh, everyone that I asked, all my friends that are lawyers, they all pointed in your direction as the person to go to, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today.
1: No problem, Rich, and I suspect your friends are more kind than they need to be. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. no um, Can you give us a bit of background on yourself, please, Caroline?
1: Sure. I'm a barrister. I'm in Victoria, for those who might be listening outside Victoria. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a barrister, so for those who are not familiar with the legal system, you if you've got a problem, uh, in this case perhaps a will challenge or something like that, you tend to go to a solicitor first and they'll deal with the will drafting, uh, they'll deal with any transactional issues, buying and selling a house and so on. Uh, If there's a problem, if there's some litigation or a more specialist opinion that might be needed or some more finely crafted wording, you come to a barrister, and so that's where I am. Um, I'm, as I say, in Victoria. I've been a barrister for a very long time, (laughs) since (laughs) 1991, and I'm also a QC, and I became a QC in 2012.
0: Brilliant. Okay. Well, so you're definitely the person to talk to, Carolyn. So what exactly is a will and what are some of the different types of will?
1: Okay. So a will, in short, is a document that you make and you sign in a formal way that it directs how your estate is to be dealt with after you die. So, it's not just a note, it's not just a set of wishes about how you'd like things to be done, but it's a formal document that directs your executor, the person that you name and choose to be the person who's going to manage your estate after you die, as to what they are to do and where your assets are to go. That's really it in terms of wills. Now, you ask about different types of wills. Um, in a sense, there are as many types of wills as there are human beings. Everybody has their own wishes, their own desires, their own intention. Essentially, though, what you need to do is to sign a document in a formal way in front of two witnesses. So, in Victoria and in all the other states around Australia, that's really the type of will that you're looking for. Uh, occasionally, people do get it wrong. Perhaps there's somebody who's ill or housebound, and they they make a document for themselves. It's homemade and they just have one neighbour and they say, please, 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 I'm in terrible trouble here. Can you come and witness this document for me? Sometimes in those circumstances, there'll be enough to persuade a court that that is good enough to stand as a will, but we don't recommend it. You should do it properly. Um, A will is not made orally. A will is not made really in any other way than by signing a document in front of two witnesses. Now, in terms of what's in the will, the it really, as I say, there's as many things that can go in the will as you wish. People can have very straightforward wills where they simply say, I leave my piano to my grandson and my wedding ring to my niece and my house to my wife or my um, my car to my children. That can be very straightforward. Or people can have more complex arrangements where it may be that they have corporate assets that they need to deal with in some way, or they've got, difficulties within the family that might lead them to think I don't want this person to get an outright gift I think they need to be protected I think they need to um, I think they've got trouble with money or something of that type and that they uh, really should have funds held upon a trust for them so there are other structures that that can be built into uh, built into a will uh, and that's really a matter of if you're getting to that point, you really do need some professional advice about what should go into the will.
0: And that might be something, say, for, for minors, you know, having lots of money left to them, you wouldn't leave it to a 10-year-old straight away. You'd have some structure set up to actually make sure that it was looked after and, and fed to them as and when they needed it.
1: Yeah, that's quite right. And and that does lead me into one of the things I did want to mention today, that for anybody who's got children, well, for anybody who's making a will, whether you've got children or not, one of the things you need to think about before you go and see a solicitor or to go and see a professional to make a will is who is going to be my executor. The executor is the person who manages the estate after you die. And they may well, if you have young children, they may well be charged with having to manage those funds and manage the demands of the children for many years to come. If you have a five-year-old and you die unexpectedly, that's 13 years that they'll be managing money. And that may be 13 years where they have to resist um, the the child saying, please, 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 can I have some money? Or perhaps there's somebody that the child meets as they get older saying, come on, you know, dip into your trust fund, get that inheritance. But they have to be fair and they have to not necessarily lock up the money for that whole 18 years. They have to recognise that children do have needs and those funds can be used to meet their education expenses or, you know, depending on how much there is, it may be they can be used to meet other expenses of, of the children as well as having to make investment decisions. So it's a really important choice of person who's going to be your executor in those circumstances.
0: Yeah, and it it sounds like it could be a huge ask as well, like not something to be taken flippantly, is it?
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. And ordinarily I, I say to people when they're thinking about their choice of executor, you've got to take into account a number of things. Somebody who's going to outlive the beneficiaries somebody who's going to be capable of doing the task, they're not going to shirk from it, they're not going to be frightened by it, somebody who's capable of getting along with your children as they get older, or if you've got a separate person that you've appointed as the guardian for the children, so it may be that you've got someone making lifestyle decisions for the children who's separate from the financial decisions. It may be you think my spouse is the, the number one person who should be raising the children, but I don't trust him or her with the money. And that's a, that may be unfair, and it's a, but it's a blunt way of saying that the skill sets are different and it may be you, that you need to entrust them to different people. And so they have to, whoever's the money manager, has to be able to work with the lifestyle manager. Um, and they've got to be somebody who is willing to do the job. And then you have to think, well, should they be paid for that? And that's a a reality. It is a big ask. Now, normally a family member executor who's winding up the estate, who's going to take, you know, six months and um, it may be an inconvenience for them, but generally they're not going to expect to be paid. But if it's complex or long-standing, or they've got to manage issues with children, then you really should think about whether they ought to be paid for that task.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a really important point as well, Carolyn, about who looks after the children as well, because if you're making a will and you've got children under a certain age, like it, it's a really important thing to, to, to decide who you think would actually be best suited to, to take the care, take your place as a parent, so to speak.
1: And you also have to think about what happens if we both go. What if What if in the sort of terrible situation where there was an accident or something and both parents went yeah that's that's exactly
0: sorry i didn't communicate that that's exactly what i was thinking like if we're in a car accident or something and then you know the children were essentially orphaned but that's a huge responsibility for someone to take on isn't it
1: yeah it is and and that's a role you definitely need to discuss with the person of your choice
0: yeah that would be quite a surprise otherwise
1: yes yeah <laughs> and you need to know you need to know they're willing to do the task and yeah. they're up to
0: it but i, I mean, and this brings me back to the thought that you know this is such an in a massively important document to do and yet it's not urgent or at least it never feels urgent and i i did a straw poll with my friends over the past few weeks and it really aligns with a a news piece i read a while back about how there's just over half of Australians haven't got a will in place and, it, and the numbers rang true when I was talking to friends and, and um, you know, acquaintances as well. It, it really seems like about you know, 50% of people don't actually have a will in place. Why, why do you think that is?
1: As you say, it all, it is urgent, but it never feels urgent. There's a small minority of people who think if I make the will, it's a harbinger of my death, and so I'll forever not make a will. That's a pretty small proportion. I think most people just don't ever get around to it. It's like many big decisions I really wish I could learn the piano. I'll get around to it one day. I really should make my will. I'll get around to it one day. They they sort of don't know where to start. For those people who have just never quite gotten around to it, the first place to start is pick up the phone. Get the phone number of your local solicitor and just give them a call. Make an appointment in about two weeks' time because that gives you two weeks to have a think about what you're going to put into it, but it gives you a deadline. Now you you just your local solicitor, unless you have particularly unusual or particularly complex arrangements that need to be put in place where you might need a specialist, your local solicitor will be able to make a will for you. And if you meet with them and their arrangements are more complex, if they can't do it, they'll refer you to somebody who can. Or if you think already you've got some more complex arrangements, Go to your local law institute in Victoria or the law societies in the other states. They will all have a list of specialist solicitors who've got a particular specialty in making a will. Just do it because they're. they're, I mean, it's it's not your ideal situation to die without one, and that's something I'll talk about in a moment. When you, it's not going to cost you as much as you might imagine. I, I don't know if cost is one of the things that puts people off. I am sometimes astonished at the high net worth individuals who, who think they're saving a couple of hundred dollars by doing a will for themselves and instead they end up in court cases that cost tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. It, it is generally going to cost you a couple of hundred dollars. Now, it's not going to be 200. It might be 300, 400, 500, but it's in that sort of order for most ordinary suburban solicitors doing an ordinary family will. If you've got more complex arrangements, it's going to take longer to spend time with you and to do the drafting, and that is going to cost more. But if you've got more complex arrangements, then that's the very situation where you really do need to get that professional input. Now, I said I'd come back to the consequences of of not making a will. And it, it, it can be a real problem. It doesn't have to be. For some family situations, the rules about intestacy, what happens if you die without a will, do suit them. For some family arrangements in Victoria, for example, if you've got a standard nuclear family and one spouse dies, the estate goes to the other spouse in the expectation that they will look after the children. Gets more complex if there's divorced spouses, if there's children from blended marriages and not all states have that arrangement. Other states have situations where there's a division of the assets between the surviving spouse and the children. So you end up with a house being partly owned by the spouse and partly owned by the children, which is generally unworkable. So that could be a problem. What is equally a problem is that if you die with an old will in place. Can I tell you the uh, number of times where people have been in a relationship with or without a child and they have separated so they're not married, sorry, they are married, they've separated, not divorced, and then they've repartnered. And they've repartnered, perhaps had children with the new partner, but never formally gotten married because they never formally got divorced from the old one. What happens if they haven't got a will is the old spouse that they're still actually married to, never divorced, they get the lot if they're in Victoria. Wow. Unless you go to court and have a fight about it separation is not the same as divorce. I want to say that again because it's really important and it trips people up. Separation is not the same as divorce. Please, if you have any major changes in life, whether you acquire a new asset, whether you have a child, whether you separate or create a relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship or a non-marriage relationship, please make a will because if you've got a will in place, by and large, it will override the other arrangements in life. So, importantly, especially if you're separated into a new partnership, please make a will. If you do then get divorced, update your will because the divorce is the one thing that changes everything. It revokes the old will or any gifts in the old will to the old spouse. Now, that might be what you want but the mere fact I have to go through this explains that there are complexities that mean, A, you have to think about it every time there's a major change in life, and B, you should get some advice. Go to a lawyer, spend another few hundred dollars, it'll be the least of your, of your outlays if you're in the process of a, a relationship breakup, and get it down in writing as to what you want your will to be in the new relationship or in the absence of the relationship or to look after the children. Make choices about who you want to look after. Don't let don't leave it up to the law or an old will to make those choices for you.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it could be absolutely devastating if, you know, people are dealing one with you going and then they've got this layer on top of just an absolute bun fight trying to sort things out and that, yep. I can't imagine how bad that would be. Yeah. Now, yep. what what are some of the things... Um, to actually go through then? You, obviously, you pick up the phone. You say you've got two weeks to think about before you go. Is there sort of like a checklist of things to start sort of yeah. jotting down? or?
1: Yeah, there there is. So, if the first thing to think about is who's to be my executor. I've mentioned that already. So, is it my surviving spouse? Uh, is it somebody else? What happens if my spouse is no longer around if we do have an accident together? So, that's the who's going to manage my estate. If you've got children, those... Dis- discussions that I mentioned before about who is to be the long-term money manager for my children, who's to be the long-term lifestyle, who's going to look after them after I go. They're pretty important things to think about. For anyone to think about, no matter how young or old their children are, what assets do I have? And that is a, a more complex question. Some For some people, that's a more complex question that it seems on its face. If you've got company shares in a private company. So many people choose to operate their small businesses through the XYZ Proprietary Limited Company, the, the, the Jones Smith Holdings Proprietary Limited Company. Well, there, that's not you. And so, you need to be clear about what assets belong to you and what assets belong to the company. If you have a self-managed superannuation fund, you may well hold assets inside that superannuation fund. Again, that's not you. And so, you need to make clear where all your assets are. So, that your solicitor can give you advice about how those structures need to be dealt with in your will. So, that's quite a big deal. And at the same time, have a think to yourselves, not just about the big assets, but the small ones. Who's going to get the wedding ring? Who's going to get my grandfather's war medals? Who's going to get the family heirloom? And if you think there's going to be a number of people interested, oh, okay, how am I going to deal with the fight over the fact that all of my children are going to want grandpa's war medals? And again, if you know that that's a potential issue, it's something you can talk to your solicitor about. So identifying your assets is a a big ticket item. Ask your spouse, if you're partnered, and especially if you've got children together, what do you want? Ideally, you don't have to want exactly the same thing, but ideally what you want, what each of you want will dovetail. And so that you'll have a common view about, who's to be the money manager, and in particular, a common view about who's to be the person who makes, who looks after the children. You may have different ideas about grandpa's war medals on the one side or auntie Mabel's, you know, valuable jewellery on the other side. That's okay. But in terms of the core decisions about your children and their future and about your major assets, usually your home, it's ideal if you can have, if you've got young children, if you can have a common view. Now, of course, blended families will have an entirely different approach to this, and that's where you really do need to have a a, a discussion with a professional, but the thought process is the same. There'll be some assets that you've acquired during the marriage together, for example, and you say, we want these assets to go to our shared children, but these assets that we each owned prior to the marriage or prior to the partnership, we want to deal with in a separate way, to siblings, to children of an earlier marriage, and so on. Ideally, have an open conversation about that. It won't be an easy conversation for some people, but ideally, you'll be able to have a, 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 a an estate plan for both spouses that dovetails. So, that's one important thing to deal with. And obviously, you need to decide for yourself, what do I actually want? And for many people, that's very easy. I have a spouse. I have children. I've got very clear views about what I want in life. But for other people, it does make them sit back and say, look, I've had a sibling who's got real needs and I've always promised to look after. How am I going to manage that as well as looking after my partner and my children? So, again, identifying all of those competing um, desires is something you should do before you go and see the solicitor. So, it's it's not a difficult process, but it's just a process you need to sit down and have a think through about... What do I want? What sort of future do I want? And where are the potential wrinkles so that they're the things I can talk to my solicitor about?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, Carolyn, because um, I wanted to ask you a question as well, what you think about the ones, the, the sort of wills you can do as a kit or online or something as well and how they compare. But when I went through, I did an example one online a few nights ago, and it became very clear very quickly that it's so, it becomes really nuanced. And I think that's where a lawyer really helps, don't they? Because all of a sudden you're starting to make like split decisions. And and the the one that came up was that sort of uh, pinged for me was, okay, you define who you think should look after the children, but then do you leave some money to them as well? to help, you know, yes. fund looking after the children and, and all of a sudden then it comes back to that that trust planning and, and making sure money's kept in a place for the children to access and and who manages that. And I didn't even know that you could separate out the person that actually looks after children from the 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 person that looks after the money because it was a, a very black and white just decide mm. where this goes where that goes who looks after this who has the dog and that was pretty much it i mean what what are your feelings around these these sort of kits and online sort of tools have you come across many are there any pitfalls or benefits
1: yeah look they they work they do work reasonably well for people with very simple arrangements
0: or an individual and- say
1: for, for an individual uh, or somebody, or even a very standard nuclear family arrangement, they might work well if you've got adult children. But you're right, the moment you've got minor children and the need to manage money in the long term, they do start to require a different kind of decision making. But all the best thing I can say is it's better to use a will kit than to use nothing, by and large. So if for some reason you can't pick up the phone and get to a solicitor, then it is better to print out something off the internet think about it discuss it with your partner fill it in as best you can make sure you sign it in front of two people um, they don't have to be lawyers the two people that's better than nothing but ideally it, it look, they do they do create problems and people fill them in using words that that uh, lend, that become ambiguous or that their their legal meaning is unclear and so that can of itself create Problems, you know, by and large, please go to a solicitor to do it. Um, use a will kit if you have to. Use a will kit if your affairs are simple and if you're very confident about what assets you own. But better to go to a solicitor.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you think it's something that you know you could do first round with a a lawyer solicitor and get a really good structure set up for yourself? But then whenever you're updating, it becomes easier and it's just something that you know you can go through the process. Or is it again you have to go?
1: I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that again unless you've got very simple arrangements. If you've got very simple arrangements, you've been through it once with a solicitor, then okay, print out the will kit, see if you can replicate what has been done with the solicitor just with the update. Um, Generally, I wouldn't recommend that for a couple of reasons. One is that if it's complex enough that you've been to a solicitor the first time round, then updating it is also going to have complexities. But the second thing is that just doing an update thinking I'm just changing these words in paragraph three can have a ripple effect across the rest of the document if you don't and often you don't realize it Um, so generally we recommend you don't just update a document you actually do a whole fresh will even if you're just changing paragraph three because then you've got an opportunity to read it through and make sure it's all consistent and cohesive so again better than nothing but generally even with an update you should go back to the solicitor.
0: It's it's interesting, Carolyn, because as you're saying that, I'm just thinking to myself, the effort that someone is going to pour over a, a will that has problems or if a beneficiary feels badly done to or something the effort they will pour in at the end is going to be way way in <laughs> a, in, in excess of the effort that we're obviously thinking about putting in up front as well so i suppose Absolutely. i suppose you've got to have that sort of lens you know of like okay we've got to make this brutally clear so that there's no yep. uh, you know sort of ambiguity, ambiguity that, that can cause problems because that's just yep. going to ha- cause all sorts of issues
1: yep I make my living out of people who get it wrong, much as I enjoy what I do. I don't need more clients I don't need more of your listeners to, yeah. to get it wrong. you have to come to somebody like me and literally you are it's a false economy yeah. you know the the cost of getting paying a solicitor to get it right the first time compared to the cost of a court case it's it's just not worth it
0: uh and and all sorts of things as well like um friend of mine went through a very sticky situation where they'd essentially been cut out of a will um, because the intent of the person leaving them the 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 or not leaving them the assets was to achieve keeping everything in the bloodline of the family but they hadn't actually realized that they could set up something i think it was called a bloodline trust you know to stop things leaching out of the original family heirs and 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 that's caused huge amounts of problems as well and, and it sounds like a lawyer would be able to answer those questions to get the intent of what you want the outcome to be.
1: There's a couple of things there. One thing that a lawyer will talk through with you is whether you want to make such arrangements at all. So lawyers are very familiar with dealing with people who say, I want to leave out this child because because they've been bad to me, because I think they're going to be a bankrupt, because I don't like the woman he's married because I want to leave the family farm only to my own kin and I don't ever want it to leave the family, a lawyer will talk through with you about whether those are wise decisions. You know, has if you say the child has been bad to me, and I'm talking about adult children now, the child has been bad to me, well, that can cause you to reflect on your own behaviour or it could cause you to say, look, they've been bad to me in the last couple of months, but really for their entire life, they've been good. So really, do you really want to cut them out just because of this thing that's happened just now? Uh, Or it may be that um, there are structures that are better put in place for somebody just because you don't like the person they've married or the fact that they are going to be exposed to creditors. Rather than leaving them out altogether, you can create trusts. Independently managed by an independent trustee that effectively means that those monies are corralled in the way that you might wish, and you might leave with the will a letter of wishes about how you want monies to be dealt with. A situation that your your friend is in may be something slightly different because if somebody really does say, "I want these assets only to go to my bloodline," then that's going to create problems because there'll be people outside the bloodline who'll, create, who'll, who'll complain about that. That's not where a solicitor will intervene. Ultimately, your wishes are your wishes. And so the job of the solicitor then is, how do I do the drafting to best make sure that that intent is actually carried out? And there are rules about that. You can't have a perpetual trust in Victoria. You can in South Australia, but you can't in Victoria. You can't have a trust that runs in perpetuity that can only ever pass to a child of the Smith family. Uh, And so a, a lawyer would talk you through, well, What is it that you actually want to achieve? How far down? What happens if somebody, the the bloodline comes to an end? What do you want then? As well as talking with you about whether it's wise or not. But certainly, uh, if you want some structuring so as to best try and deal with competing interests, uh, lawyers will have a lot of answers. One of the things that we often have to deal with is the blended family. So, how do you deal with the second partnership if there are children of both relationships? There'll be a spouse that needs to be looked after of the later partnership. There'll be children potentially of more than one partnership. How do you deal with that? And so they'll talk you through trusts, life interests, how best to, to frame those. You know, Is there a way to allow the surviving spouse to live in the house for the rest of their life and provide for their nursing home care? And at the end of their life, it then passes through to the children of choice. So you know, these can be complex arrangements that need to be talked through and when we're getting to this level of detail the chances of you being able to figure it out for yourself at home without professional input is pretty skinny
0: yeah yeah and, and you mentioned one of the things <laughs> earlier as well carolyn you know, superannuation is a huge issue too and, yes. and this actually happened for me a friend of mine passed away and had listed me because we were best mates way back and he would put me as a, a beneficiary for some reason i wasn't even aware of it but then he got married and for some reason, hadn't updated his superannuation beneficiary. So all of a sudden, I had to go through a whole bunch of affidavits and everything to sort of prove that, no, actually, he is married. His wife should have all that. It's nothing to do with me. And just, it, it caused, I mean, it, it wasn't so bad for me, but it was a nightmare for his, his, you know, his wife at the time and so on. It's, you know, and, and that was just an oversight in superannuation, which I guess, I mean, I hadn't even thought, yeah, of course, that's somewhere that you need to update as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right, Rich. Every time you have a major event in life, you should update your will. Every time you have a major event in life, revisit and if necessary, update your superannuation. There's a whole bunch of basic rules about superannuation that are often misunderstood. The first is that if you're in any uh, retail fund, any public fund, so not a self-managed fund, but a public fund, you usually have the option to bind the trustee to have to give it to a particular beneficiary but it runs out after three years so every three years you need to to update it wow similarly oh, the flip side of that is that if you get divorced that will revoke the will like i said before but it doesn't revoke your superannuation so if you've still got that binding nomination in favor of the old spouse then it's binding and the person that you've just divorced is going to get your money. So you've got to update it. You've got to have a think about who's to get it because other than spouses, children and people who are dependent, you're actually not allowed to give your superannuation to other people. So often families say either they've got children, but in a fit of pique they say, oh, I don't want my children to have my money. I want it to go to a charity or a friend or a fam- another family member. You actually can't do it. If you, if you nominate those people, the trustee will choose against them. So in your situation, you may not have realised it at the time, but the trustees would eventually have said, oh, if there's a wife, you're, and unless you can show us that you're dependent, you're not, you're not allowed to have it. But if your friend really, really, really wanted to give you the superannuation in preference to their wife, which they shouldn't, and they should update it, all the things that I've just said, they could have actually gone to a lawyer and made a will that created a superannuation trust and then you tell your superannuation funds that you want the money to be paid into your estate and then your estate deals with it so superannuation does not normally naturally form automatically form part of your estate sometimes people think oh i'm sorted i've got my will my will will sort everything out no superannuation does not automatically fall into your estate. It needs to be dealt with separately. It needs to be updated every three years. It needs to be updated every time there's a major change. And you need to either see a lawyer or an accountant or at least ask the fund for their list of people that you're allowed to leave it to and make your choices accordingly. And then fill in the form correctly. Whatever the instructions are about filling in the form, please follow them to the letter because there are no... Uh, discretions when it comes to the filling in of superannuation forms.
0: Yeah, so so really you reach out to them and they will give you a list. Um, your super fund will give you a list of the, the beneficiaries you can list and then yes. there'll be a form to fill in and you need to do that every three years. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay. And it's uh, if you've got self-managed superannuation, it is different. Uh, but if you've got self-managed superannuation, you've probably got an accountant who assisted you to set it up you really need to talk to them and potentially a lawyer as well about how you pass control of the superannuation fund after you die and what nominations can be made. So, that's probably a bit more specialist than this podcast is really aimed at, yeah. that you really should be talking to your accountant who assisted you to set up the fund to get that sort of information.
0: Gotcha. So, there's a lot here, Carolyn. There's, there's way more <laughs> than I thought. So,
1: and I don't want to frighten people. Oh, it, I know. It, it's, Oh yeah, I was sort of talking about a hundred things that you need to think about, yeah. but really it starts with pick up the phone, make an appointment and have a think about how simple or complex your arrangements are and what questions you might need to have answered. That yeah. really is where it starts. It doesn't have to be complex.
0: Well, I suppose in that sense then, Carolyn, how, how do you actually find a, a good lawyer or, or should I say a lawyer that's going to be a good fit for you?
1: Look, that's always a hard question to answer if you don't already have a lawyer, Uh And hopefully you don't already have a lawyer because you haven't had to deal with the legal system in any way. But really ask your friends. It may well be that one of your friends has, for example, sold a house and they found that the lawyer they dealt with was very easy to deal with and seemed very competent and very personable and they they feel like a good fit. That's that's a good place to start. It it can be as simple as walk down to your local shopping centre where there's probably going to be a lawyer's office. And ask to have a chat to the lawyer there and say, look, I'm, I'm here because I'm thinking of making a will. I just wanted to meet you first, find out what your skill set is, whether, you're, whether willmaking is part of what you can do. Great. And after having had a five-minute chat, I'll make an appointment to come back in a week's time. It doesn't have to be complex. Now, if you really, really, really don't know where to start, then phone your local law society or law institute in Victoria and say... I'm living in such and such a suburb or I'm working in such and such a suburb. Can you tell me who the lawyers are in that suburb who'd be capable of making a will? And they'll give you a list. Now, that it might be a list of 10 solicitors and you think, I don't know where to start. Uh, you, you can phone them and ask what they charge. If, if you want to filter by price, phone up and find out what they charge for a standard will or what they charge for a one-hour consultation. And that might give you a feel. It, may take more than one hour, but that'll give you a feel for whether it's a more expensive or less expensive firm. Depends really what your priorities are as to whether you want to work with somebody who's a specialist or cheap or personable so as to make those decisions. Well,
0: it sounds like the main thing to do is just pick up the phone and start asking questions. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, this, this has been amazing, Carolyn. I think that's a, a great place to stop, though, uh, so we don't overwhelm people. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. I definitely yeah really appreciate the time you've taken to to sort of share your insights with us. I mean, do, do you have any – is there a way that people can contact you or things that you're working on that you want to share with people or anything like that?
1: Uh, they can contact me if they like, although hopefully – I'm not the to. person they're looking for because <laughs> I, you won't be needing to talk to me until there's some problem, which hopefully they'll never have. I'm, I'm at the Victorian Bar. My email address is the easiest, sparkie, S-P-A-R-K-I-E, at vicbar, V-I-C-B-A-R.com.au. As I say, I may well refer you to somewhere else because you don't need to talk to me unless there's a problem. That's the first aspect. The second is that uh, I'll be talking to you again in perhaps a year's time, Rich, when I'm writing a book on uh, people getting along with each other, siblings getting along with each other in the context of Fights About Wills. Uh, So we'll see how that goes, and I may well be back in touch to have a chat about that somewhere down the track.
0: That sounds brilliant, Carolyn. I look forward to it. And thank you for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Rich. thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carolyn as much as I did. I'll leave a link to Carolyn's details on the website in case you'd like to get in touch with her. If you are enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading the reviews and it helps others to discover the podcast. Well, that's all from me. I hope you stay safe and sane and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.